This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. Why should we study the subject underhand? Why should we study about money? Well, it's an essence in our lives. We deal with it every day. But we need to understand more than just money. And that's what lesson one is all about. I want you to look at the aim of our lesson today. And the aim of our lesson today is to show the greatness of God and magnify Him as the Creator of all things. And what we're going to learn in this lesson, that God is the owner of all. The owner of all things. If he is the owner, what do I own? Nothing. I don't own anything. In Psalms 24 and 1, what, what does that passage say? Does anyone have it written down or have it? All right, Priscilla. All right, the earth. The earth is the Lord's. And if the earth is the Lord's, it's not ours. It's been loaned to us for just a short period of time. You say, well, why would we begin here? I'll, I'll tell you the reason. Roy Johnson was visiting here one day when we were having our preacher's meeting, and Roy Johnson is the director of Lads to Leaders. And we asked him to speak, and he talked about how you reach millennial generation. And he said, if you think the millennial generation is going to give, you can forget it. Because they do not believe in giving. And I made some observations along that line that they do not believe in it. They're all about relationships. Now, if we talked about buying a bunch of bicycles at Christmas and get all excited about it. I have a friend who has a son-in-law, or he had a son-in-law, who was the son of a gospel preacher. And he started going to a denominational body. His mother visited us one Sunday, and if I were to call her name, you'd recognize her as the authoress of a number of books that she wrote many years ago. She begged me to go see her son. Her son told his father-in-law the reason he went to the place that he was going is because, listen to it now, they give away bicycles at Christmas. They give away bicycles at Christmas. We need to teach our young people, and they're studying this from the middle school up through our age. And what we want to learn in lesson one is that God is the possessor of heaven and earth. And if we don't teach our young people today, the next generation will know absolutely nothing about their responsibility to the material things of life. The first point we make today is that in the beginning, God. And God exists. He is. I read this one time in a book by E.A. Manis, and he said, if the word God were written on every blowing leaf, embossed on every passing cloud, engraved on every granite rock, 
the inductive evidence of God in the world would be no stronger than it is. The universe is a big advertising poster that spells God. What did the psalmist say about that in Psalms 19 and 1? The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. And I, I can remember as a child, we lived on a 90-acre farm up in the hills of Tennessee. We lived on a ridge, our farm was, our house was at least. And I understand there's some, uh, some of these recording artists from Nashville that have bought that land and have built houses on that ridge. But that's what my younger brother tells me. But I can remember going back into a valley. The ridge is up here, and there's a valley that goes this way. There's a valley that goes that way. On this side, it was a 12-mile valley over to the next ridge. And I can remember going into that valley, one of those valleys, and just laying down on the ground and just looking up at the sky and just thinking about who made all of this and about God. God is and there was a mineralogist that said, what I've learned about the earth has made me no less a believer in a supreme power, but actually more so. You see, some of the early philosophers simply guessed there is a God. All they could say was God is, but we know so much, we have so much evidence to go on. We have seen so much of his handiwork, we must we can say God must be. God must be. And I was reading something that uh, a statement a man made who had been an unbeliever in God, and he began to examine all of the evidence, and he became a believer. But that's another story when you get into apologetics, and we have studied that in time past in this class. God is. God was in the very beginning, and in the beginning God created. Anthony Flew was an atheist, an avowed atheist. Brother Thomas Warren debated him out in Texas and Flew, before he died, became convinced that there had to be some form of intelligence that put everything in order in our universe. The thing that put him over the top I didn't say he became a total believer like you and I would be, but he, be, he realized there had to be something out there. It was DNA. DNA. He said absolutely another way, other way to explain it. Would the binary, isn't it the binary code that's in the computer? I know that's about all I know about him. I can tell we got a man back here that know. And uh, that didn't happen. It just happened by accident. Somebody had to program that thing. And that's, he compared the DNA in the human body to, to the code It's in the computer. He said it, neither one could just happen. There had to be some form of intelligence behind it. And that is true. There's order and design in the universe. And the stars are grouped together in, in universes. And every snowflake, I read this somewhere years back, that every snowflake has an angle of either 60 or 120 degrees. That's an accident, isn't it, Ken? No, I don't think so. Uh, someone said that if all of the men who have lived over the past 6,000 years 
were to combine their strength against the earth, against the globe, they couldn't move it but about one foot every thousand years. Uh, but there's a force called gravitation that causes you to move more than a thousand miles a minute. Our world is the product of some powerful cause. Uh, he, is, he has been, God has been referred to as the uncaused cause. For every effect, there must be a cause. There must be some adequate cause for the effect. A bumblebee would not make a hurricane because he's not adequate to create that kind of disturbance. And God is the adequate cause, the uncaused cause. And so our world did not just happen. When you read the first chapter of Genesis, there are the six days of creation. And after every day, what did God say about it? How did he evaluate that day? He said, it's good. It's good. It is good. And, and in Psalms, uh, Acts of Paul's sermon to, on Mars Hill in Acts 17, he said that, uh, that God that did what? Made the world, made the world, and what else? All things or everything that was in it, seeing that his Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands. And Jesus, according to John chapter 1, was involved in the creation. I've often said that God designed it and Jesus carried out the blueprint. And I believe that. And it is through faith that we understand, this is Hebrews chapter 11 and 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were, by the word, were created by, were framed, and the word frames left out there. I, I found a lot a lot of my mistakes in going over this. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which were not made of, thi were, were not made of things which do appear. So God made the world out of what? The evolution, evolutionists say everything came out of previously existing materials or some substance. God made it out of nothing. He made it out of nothing. So, so everything belongs to God. There was a man walking by a, a, a 10 cent store. Maybe it was Woolworths or something. They don't even have those anymore. <laughs> don't guess. And he noticed a little girl in there and she had her face pressed up against the, the glass where they had all the chocolate candy. And he went in and she said, uh, you like that candy? Yes, sir. Would you like to have some? Yes, sir. So he gave, the, they told the clerk to put some of candy in the bag and give it to the little girl and he paid for it and then she put her hand down in the bag and she was stuffing chocolates in her mouth. Can't you just see that? One in this side, one on that side like squirrels eating nuts, you know. And then he reached out his hand, he said, could I have a piece? And she grabbed the top of that bag and she said, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And then she ran out the store. He said, well, that little girl's horrible. Wait a minute. Before we get too hard on her, we need to stop and think about ourselves. 
everything belongs to God by right of creation. There's not a single solitary thing that exists that God did not make. But sometimes we are prone to say, like the little girl, what? It's all mine. I think about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts the fifth chapter. And they, they had a piece of land, what they do with it? They sold it, what they do with the money of it? All right, they laid some of it down at the apostles' feet and they kept back part of it, but then they, they lied about it. They, 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 they left the impression, tried to leave the impression, they gave it all. They lied, number one, to God. They lied, number two, to the Holy Spirit. And they, as a result of their lying about what they did, what happened to them, they died. But here's the thing. They were told, while it was yours, that is in your possession, was it not your own? That is, you had the right with it in your possession to do with it as you pleased. That's the way we are. We, and we'll get to, when we get to lesson three, we will learn that, that we have the right to do with it as we please. That's our relationship to kingdom blessings. And, but God is the original owner. He's the original owner. God made everything. And look at Genesis 1 and 1. Who can quote that for us? Genesis 1 and 1. Can you? In the beginning, why don't we all quote it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Created the heavens and the earth. Now, on point B, that's Genesis 14, 19, in case you had a hard time finding the answer like Louise did over here. That's Genesis 14, 19. There again, my mistake. Not the printer, not Christie. My mistake. Genesis 14 is the time when Abraham was doing what? It's when he met, he was paying, he had been off in battle, and he met Melchizedek, king of Salem. And what did he do in relation to the king of Salem? All right, he paid tithes to him. Now, sometimes we use words people don't understand. I've got ten fingers. If I were to tithe one of them, how many would I lose? Or if I were to tithe my fingers, how many would I lose? I'd lose one. One-tenth. And... Uh, I've illustrated with apples and oranges and everything else you can think of, but, but it's 10%. 10% of a dollar is a dime. 10% of $100 is $10. And so he gave him 10%. Let me mention this, and I will mention it again later on in our study. That is not where tithing began. Have you ever heard it said from the pulpit, that we're no longer living under the law of the tithe because the law of Moses has been done away. You ever heard that from the pulpit? The law of the, law of the tithe predated the law of Moses. Abraham tithe, Jacob tithe, 
there are historical records, and if you push me real hard, I'll bring them next, next time I teach the class and prove to you. There are historical records that prove that men, for example, the Babylonians who'd gone off into idolatry were paying tithes to their gods 2,100 years before the days of Abraham. And there are records where the Egyptians and really all of the pagan nations tithe. Yeah, Cain and I... And, and, and we're going to study where I think it began. Well, I don't think I know. I know where it began. It began in the Garden of Eden. It had to have. And I've got some quotes from pretty, some pretty uh, scholarly individuals that will, I think, substantiate that. But nonetheless, he gave him a, he, he blessed him. He blessed Abraham. And this is what he said about God, that he was the what of, of what? Fill in the blanks in, in Genesis 14, 19. He's a possessor of heaven and earth. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. So if God possesses it, that means that God owns it. He is the original owner of everything. And uh, most, if maybe not all, but most people own a car and you have a title to it. Or you have a house and you find that you, you worked on paying for it long enough that you have a title to it. Question. Whose name will be on that title to your house or your land about 150 years from now if the world stands? It won't be ours. Some, it, that, that will be passed on to somebody else. But that person will have it, but God will still what? Own it. <laughs> He'll still own it. You say, well, I, I don't understand that. How, how it could all, it, it's it. I earned it. I went out and worked hard and I got it. It's God that gives us the power, the ability, the opportunity to get wealth according to Deuteronomy 8 and 18. Look at Deuteronomy 14, 10, 14. Uh, I think I did get that one right. Behold the heaven and the heavens of heaven is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. So we're just trying to show that God made everything and everything belongs to God by right of creation. You say, well, our... Just use one verse, move on. I understand that. I want us to see what the Bible teaches, and I want these young people back in class to understand that God owns everything. We don't own anything. So let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Chronicles, the 29th chapter. And I know it's in this book because I saw it yesterday. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and let's read verse 11 through verse 14. 
29, 11 through verse 14. The, the, the setting of this passage, you may remember that David was not allowed to build the, the temple. Why not? He was a man of war. He had blood on his hands. But who built it? Solomon. That's why we sometimes we call it Solomon's temple. But God did allow David to make some preparations for it. Uh, he, he allowed David to, to challenge the people to give uh, to, in order that they might build this edifice. And, and so, uh, I want you to look back in verse 9, incidentally. They, they get, in verse 8, they gave, whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord. And verse 9, then the people rejoiced, for they had offered how? Willingly. With a loyal heart, they had offered willingly. And then David rejoiced. And then this is what David said. Praising God. Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head over how much? All. Both riches and honor come from you. And you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Who am I and who are my people? that we should be able so willing to, to, to offer as willingly as this. Notice this verse, this verse now. For all things have a common source. They come from you. And listen to this. this I think this is one of the most powerful points in the whole situation. This is my whole lesson today. For of your own we have given you. You can't give God anything he didn't already have. It already belonged to him. So you're giving it back, you see. Okay. So this is what belongs to God. Let's name them. There are five things that belong to God. Verse 11. There's greatness, power, Glory, victory, and majesty. All that belongs to God. Isn't God great?
Ain't he a good God? Then there's Psalms 24, 1. That was, that was how we started our lesson, you remember? What is the Lord's? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all and they that dwell therein. Now, sometimes we, we get sidetracked. As I mentioned the other Sunday when I preached, we get distracted. So we need to stay focused in this lesson on the real ownership of everything. Uh, we, we, we say, thing, this belongs to me and this belongs to me. I remember when, Louis, when, we, when I graduated from Faulkner, it was Alabama, well, it was Faulkner. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Faulkner later. Still Alabama Christian then. As in back in 1966, and we moved to Evergreen, and that would be the first place that I would do full-time preaching. And that was a wonderful experience for us. But we didn't have anything. They had a, they called it the church house, church home for me to live in, with no air conditioning in it. But that was nice, wasn't it? And uh, so we wondered, well, what are we going to do for furniture? We were living in a little cottage on the old campus of Alabama Christian because they had, when I graduated, they'd already moved to the new campus. And there was an old, old cottage over there, and, and they said, if you'll live in it, we'll let you live in it free if you'll kind of watch after the property here. Well, they, had, they were furnishing the dorm supervisor's apartment on the new campus. And my friend Carl White, who served as an elder here for a while, was a dorm supervisor. He had his own furniture in the old apartment, so he let us use it. And that's how we, had, we furnished that old, that old cottage we lived in. And I mean, it was old holes in the wall. I covered them up with a bookcase. And uh, it was rough. But uh, God, from that, that beginning, we didn't have much. But God blessed us. He blessed us. And, and, and uh, we moved down to Evergreen, Alabama, and started preaching there. And the contribution was $110 a week. It had about 100 people because they all came out to see the new guy that was coming in. They didn't normally have that many. And they agreed to pay us $100 a week out of 110. So I wonder how they're going to pay the light bill. But the, the church started, we, I challenged them. And I told him, I said, we're going to study giving here. And, and I, said, we're going to, I said, we're going to raise the contribution to $600 a week. From 100 to 600 And one of the men came to me. He owned a furniture store downtown Evergreen. He said, I'll tell you what, preacher. The day you get it up to $600... I'll take you out and buy you a steak dinner. He died owing me a steak dinner. 
Never did get that steak dinner. If I ever see him again, I'm going to talk to him about that. <laughs> but you have to teach people. People are the products of what they have been taught. You wonder why Muslims are Muslims? Why are they Muslims? That's what they've been taught. You wonder why Catholics are saved. You give me a child and let us teach him to live seven years old. He'll always be a Catholic. That's not necessarily true because we've seen several Catholics obey the gospel through our Bible correspondence work on television. But the reason is they, they, if we can teach them, they're going to always be that way. And we, and we have an example right here. He's on vacation this morning. That's Mike Tiffany. Mike Tiffany was a Catholic from the time he was in grade school till through high school, but he obeyed the gospel not long ago. And so that's not always true, but generally it is true. If you, the, you go to someone that's of the Jewish faith, they say that if you let us teach him, he will always be a Jew. And, and that's more likely the case because they're very difficult sometimes to convert. But we are products of what we've been taught. And that's one of the reasons that we must study every subject the Bible says. We talk about restoring New Testament Christianity, and I believe in it. Matter of fact, I've written a workbook on that subject of getting back to the, to the restoration principles. But we have yet to restore the spirit of liberality in the church. Now, when B.P. Black was alive, he, he wrote books and and now a lot of and I he gave the rights to those books to uh, a mutual friend of ours to Wayne Mitchell, and his wife Wayne is dead, but his wife still prints them, but she sells very few of them anymore. People are not studying this subject anymore, and the elders here at Summerdale feel that they have a responsibility before God to teach this church about liberality, and it's not because we're we're interested in meeting a budget. We haven't even worked up a budget yet for next year. We're not talking about budget. We're talking about souls. We're talking about training people, their responsibility, their duty. And most likely, most of you I'm talking to already know and are already doing what, what God teaches you to do. There's one thing that we have that, that, that belongs to God according to Ezekiel 18 and 4. And what is that? All souls belong to God. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? That's something you cannot see, you can't feel, you can't touch. But the soul is the what? The real me. As I spoke at Kay Barner's funeral up in Evergreen a few days ago, and and. I saw the steps behind the pulpit, so I decided to stand right in front of the casket. That's the second time I've done something like that recently. And so I, I just was speaking sort of extemporaneously. Um, that's a kind way of saying I was speaking off the what, Joe? The cuff. <laughs> I said, uh, I baptized Kay. She was nine months pregnant. I got two for one that day, and they kind of chuckled, and the daughter that was was uh, raised her hand that was the nine-month expectant child. And then I said, I talked about Kay. I said, she's a good woman. But I said, she's not in that casket. 
She's not in there. What she lived in is in there. The, 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 the house she lived in that gave recognition to the rest of us is in there. But she is not in there, according to the Bible. And, and, and our soul resides in our what? Our body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Know you not that your body is the temple of the what? The Holy Spirit, which is where? In you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, but you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, this old physical man, and in your spirit, which are God's. I've often said God owns us lock, stock, and barrel, body and soul, everything. So the, the, all souls belong to God. Now let's turn to the 50th chapter of Psalms and read these passages. Psalms chapter 50. Starting with verse number 10. I prefer, however, to start with verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings which are continually before me. I'll not take a bull from your house nor goat out of your folds. Why not? Verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine. So you kill those little old poor little old deers out there, you know, running around, Bambi. That belongs to God. And a cattle on a thousand hills. Does, let, let's stop there. Does that mean, if he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, Brad, does that, does that mean that he just owns the cattle on a thousand hills? And, and on all the other hills that belong to somebody else? What's, what's, what's he suggesting here? It's an example or figure of speech here suggesting that God owns all the cattle on, a, on all the hills, all the plains and prairies of the earth. All of them are his. Why could he say that they're mine? Because he created them, didn't he? Made them in the very beginning. So all of it belongs to God. So every beast, now let us go on. I know all the birds of the mountains. The wild beasts of the field are mine. If I, if I were hungry, listen to this now, this is verse 12. I would not tell you. Why not? For the world is mine in all its fullness. Will I eat of the flesh of bulls and or drink the blood of goats offer to God thanksgiving? Pay your vows to the Most High. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. I just can't think of a thing in the world that doesn't belong to God. Now turn a page or two, more than that actually, to the 89th Psalm. Psalms 89 and verse number 11. Anyone already have it? 
I want to read it. So what belongs to God according to that verse? The heavens, the earth, the world. Why do they belong to him? Because he founded them. He created them. He made them. All right, here's an interesting passage. In Haggai verse two, chapter 2, verse 8, what belongs to God? What belongs to him? The what now? The silver and the gold are mine, God said. The silver and the gold belongs to God. Louise and I watched a movie last night. What was the name of it? The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Something like that, you know. And, and it was all, they were trying to find $200,000 in coins that were buried in the grave, and they found them. And... They were just fighting over all that money. All the men today are still fighting over money. They're fighting over it. They, they fight over it in the stock market every day. It's a, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't work there at Dow Jones. I couldn't. They'd drive me crazy. All that shouting and screaming and carrying on that they do. It's kind of like the House of Representatives. And, uh, uh, but, 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 there's no need to fight over it because it belongs to God. I, I frequently think of what the late T.B. Larimore said. and uh, He created Mars Hill Bible School and then, of course, it went out of business, but now it's back in business. But he said, we need but little here. What did he mean by that? Well, we don't need as much as we think we do. We think we need this, everything. We think we need to buy everything we see, buy everything we can put our hand. We, we, we just got to get out and get it. But he said we need but little here and need that little long. Because as Paul put it in 1 Timothy 6, how did we come into the world? Naked, how are we going to go out? I preach now for how many decades is that? Three decades. And I preach a lot of funerals, but I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You don't take it with you. I know they think they can take it with them, and I know they think they can take it with them. Yes, ma'am. Where is that, honey? We need to restore the spirit of liberality today. The spirit. We need to have the attitude of being liberal people. Uh, the, the, the churches of Christ are, if, if people in, in the, that you know or people in the, the community in general were to say one thing about the church of Christ, what would it be? Yeah, okay. Uh, but as it relates to the, our attitude about the Bible, 
He used to say that we are the Bible-toting, Bible-believing people. Matter of fact, they came to court in some place and the judge couldn't find the Bible. They said, well, there's old brother so and Mr. So-and-so back there said he knows more about the Bible than anybody else. The judge had him come out there and they put his hand on his head, you know, to swear somebody in. Said, <laughs> so, but I, ho- I, I live to the day that people will say this about us. We are people of prayer. And we are people who are liberal in giving to help the needy and to teach the gospel to the world. And, and not ourselves. I think sometimes we spend too much on ourselves. Uh, in Psalm, Job 41 and 12, everything under the whole heaven is mine, God said. And then there is 1 Corinthians 10, 26, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So I, I hope this will make us aware of the power and the greatness of God. Now here's what I'd like for you to do. I want you to take your pen and down at the bottom of the page two, write this down. I've already written it down on mine. I want you to write this down to the bottom of the page. I own nothing. I own nothing because God owns everything now what we're going to learn in chapter in lesson two uh, when we get to it is that in spite of the fact that God owns everything he wants us to have some of it he does and so we're going to talk about those good and perfect gifts that come down from above in that lesson and how what God's given to us so uh, each one of these lessons, even though you may not, in my kind of crazy mind, fix them where they build one on top of the other. We learn this principle, which leads to this one, and to this one, and to this one. And I hope that they will be beneficial to all of us. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.